What could we learn about being a mature Christian from Adam and Eve? It seems like they blew it so bad that there's nothing worth remembering about that whole story in the Garden of Eden. But there's an essential element in becoming born again and maturing as a Christian in that account of the fall. And we're going to look at it today on Love God First. I'm so glad that you're here. We've been going through Genesis. We're still in chapter three, talking about the fall with Adam and Eve. There are so many things in this crucial, crucial part of the Bible. It's kind of like the reason for the whole rest of it is this one area where Adam and Eve blew it. And the description of it is very familiar. Many people know about the eating of the forbidden fruit and the fall of humanity through Adam and Eve's rebellion. But the account also gives us insight into the way back to God that each of us must take to become a Christian and then to help growing as a Christian. And it's summed up in this word, repentance. So today that's what we're going to be talking about, repentance. And I'm going to read through chapter three, verses one through seven, and we're going to look at the verses. I'm going to explain a little bit about what's going on and what to notice. And then I'm going to pull out that essential truth about repentance and apply it and look a little bit at what repentance is like for us now that Jesus has come. And I think it's going to really be helpful to us going forward. Hey, if you want to grow in your understanding of who God is and get deeper in your relationship with him, there may not be a more crucial element to regular, healthy Christian living than repentance. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. I say at every podcast, we're so thankful for this blueprint of life that shows us your heart, your character, who you are, and how you sought us even when we didn't even know we needed you. And Lord, even before Adam and Eve chose to walk away, you made a way for us to come back. And so thank you for that. We're going to look at that today, Lord. Help us to understand it and apply this great principle of repentance in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. Verse 1, chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Okay, pause there. Obviously, there's a backstory that we're not told about here. It's believed by various scholars that this serpent was an animal that the devil, Satan, took over and used to talk with Eve. And if you think that sounds crazy or impossible, you know, this isn't the only time there are talking animals in the Bible. So we're going to roll with it. We're going to trust that this is an actual account of what happened because it is. Verses two and three. And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. Notice Eve changes what God said there. She added, or touch it. The Lord didn't say that when he was telling Adam about just from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. That's what the Lord said in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 2. But Eve added that, or touch it. And she also made the consequence sound a little less certain. Instead of saying, you shall surely die, she said, lest you die, which yeah, it doesn't sound like it's 
exactly going to happen lest you die. You could die. It almost sounds like. Also notice from the fruit of the tree. So it doesn't say apple. People always call, oh, this is probably, it was an apple. The reason why apple may be something that has been inserted in there in people's understanding is because of the Latin word for apple is malam, M-A-L-A-M. That's apple in Latin. And malum is evil in Latin, M-A-L-U-M. So it's a very close malam, malum. So that might be why people think it's an apple. We don't know. But I'm going to use the word apple. I'm just going to say it, so get used to hearing apple. It may not be an apple. Okay, verse 4. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die. Okay, that's a complete lie. The penalty of death Adam and Eve brought was physical, spiritual, and eternal death. Remember the physical we talked about from the moment... They took a bite of that apple, death began in their bodies. Now, it took a while, but it began then. The physical death began, and the spiritual death, that separation from God, was instant. And then there's also an eternal death that was brought in, which is the completion of spiritual death, meaning eternal separation from God. All of that from that taking that apple. Now, was there anything special about the fruit? No, but because they crossed that boundary, the Lord had set up that he commanded them that brought it in. Verse five, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan is trying to convince Eve God's lying to her. He's attacking God's character. He's doubt. He's making Eve doubt his love, God's love for her. Typical. Classic tactics the enemy still uses in our lives too. And this phrase, your eyes will be opened. When the Bible talks about eyes, it's more, way more than seeing. It expresses knowledge, character, attitude, opinion, passion, response. Your eyes means a lot more than just seeing something. Also, the eye is a good barometer of the inner thoughts of man. And that phrase will be opened, that verb The verb tense that it uses frequently is used to express emotions which react upon the mind. Let me say that again. Will be opened is in a verb tense that is frequently used to express emotions which react upon the mind. So your eyes will be opened is showing a removal of God-given self-control, that character, and instead allowing the emotions, the desires and reactions to now control the person. Of course, the devil didn't say any of that. He left that part out. He just said, oh, your eyes will be opened. Verse six, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Okay, so rebellion, deep rebellion right there. Now, in our last time together, we talked about God's part in the account of the fall. In this episode, we're delving into Adam and Eve's part and ultimately our part as people. So we're looking today at an important principle, the essence of repentance. So when Adam and Eve decided to take that apple and eat it, they wanted to become like God. That's what the devil was tempting them. Hey, you could become like God, knowing good and evil, distinguishing between good and evil. And before Eve picked that apple, 
God was the one who determined right and wrong and good and evil for Adam and Eve. He was the one. But by taking that fruit, Adam and Eve were saying, I will decide what's right and wrong for me. I will decide what is good and evil for myself. No one, not even you, God, is going to tell me what is good and evil. Right? That, in essence, is what they're doing by taking that fruit. Now, here's the problem. Everyone has their own idea of good. So by evaluating good and evil for ourselves, it's everyone's at the same level of opinion about it. That's why we need a standard that is above people. Our sin nature makes even our good choices, Isaiah says, as filthy rags. So even our good choices are kind of tainted. And we can rationalize anything, can't we? If we want something, we can say it's good if we want it badly enough just by talking to ourselves about it. Cicero, a great Roman orator, said, Now what will a man do in the darkness who fears nothing except a witness and a judge? That guy was really wise. He wasn't a Christian, but he just had a lot of wisdom. Can't you rationalize anything you want to do? I know I can. I can rationalize another piece of cake or, well, this time I was just tired, so that's why I acted that way, whatever it is. And we can do that same thing with others. We can manipulate others to do the same. Can't governments do that? They rationalize something. They say, hey, this is good. That is wrong. You saw it a lot with COVID. Think about how they say, well, the unvaccinated, they're completely evil and horrible and wrong and defined that goodness. This is what's good. This is what's bad. This brings us to the definition of repentance. And people struggle with what it means because that word repent, you, know, you hear it, you think, well, what, is, what really does that mean? What, what do you do when you repent? It's not feeling sorry or bad. That's not repentance. I heard a great definition from a pastor and I think the reason it's so good is because I can see it in my mind. I Let me just stop for a second and say, whenever we're trying to understand the Bible, and we're looking at the original language in Hebrew and Greek, we always want to look for the picture of the word. Hebrew and Greek are image-based languages. They're not synonym-based. They're image. So if I can see the picture and understand by seeing something, I'm going to really understand the word. And this definition does that. And here it is. Repentance is putting the apple back on the tree. It's saying, God, you get to decide what's good and evil for me. I yield to your standards of holiness. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's a pretty familiar verse. Confessing Jesus as Lord is saying the same thing. Who but the Lord of someone gets to decide what they do and what they don't do? What they say goes. So repentance must be done in order for a person to become born again. That yielding must take place. Listen, no one is going to heaven holding on to the apple. Each one of us must decide to put it back. Now, some people who go to church their whole lives, they have never done that. I remember years ago in a small group, we had a great small group leader and his wife. We just loved them, precious people. Our small group met and talked about the sermon and would pray for each other. So the previous sermon from the week before, the pastor had made a really clear stance on repentance and said, look, this is what it is. And he, he made it so clearly and so definitively. And then we meet in the small group later, and the, our small group leader said, I just got saved last weekend. 
And we're all like, what? Wait, you're a small group leader. You weren't saved as a Christian? This is a Christian small group. What? And he said, I don't know what happened. He said, I've been, I've gone to church my whole life, but something happened to me this last weekend. I prayed that prayer of repentance and something changed. Just because a person goes to church does not mean they're saved. Or even if you just, I'm going to uh, accept Jesus as my savior. Great. But he must be Lord. He must be Lord as well. So I would say for those listening, don't take for granted going to heaven because if you're a church attender and that's all you've done, make sure you've repented. And if you haven't, you could do it right now. You could pause this podcast and say, God, I put that apple back on the tree. What you say is right and wrong. I adhere to that. And then come back and join me for the rest of this. (laughs) So to become a Christian, I must repent. Then after that, am I good? Am I finished repenting? No, no, we're not. We still need to repent. It's slightly different though. And I'm going to take you to a New Testament area where Jesus, it's in John 13, where Jesus is meeting with the disciples. It's the night that he's betrayed. And he's meeting with his disciples for a few more crucial hours. And he's telling them so many precious and important truths. And one of the things he does is he washes the disciples' feet. So I'm going to read John 13, verses 5 to 10. Then he, meaning Jesus, poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And so he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you shall understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. So a little reference to Judas Iscariot in those last couple of words there. But verse 10, where Jesus said, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet. What's the bathing? That's giving our lives to Jesus. That's repenting. That's surrendering at the first time. And then after that, after I'm a Christian, hey, I am completely clean. I am hidden in Christ. I'm a new creation in Christ, but I still need to wash my feet. Why? Because the grime of sin, the guilt and shame piles up and causes a rift between myself and the Lord. So we do accumulate that. Sin has an effect, but when I repent, I'm letting Jesus wash my feet, as it were. I'm bringing the wrong thoughts and actions to him to forgive and wash me clean afresh. Look, without repentance, God is not God to you or to me. We're never going to stop repenting. The Lord wants even more surrender and letting go as we walk with him. I thought I had given him my whole self when I first came to him. But as time's gone by, either I took stuff back Or he went in deeper because there's been more surrender, more letting go, more repenting. Now, there is a maturity that does happen over time. The Lord does make us holy. He works in us. If we allow the Holy Spirit to mold and shape us and our decisions are going to continue to be renewed, our mind is going to be renewed by the Lord, and we're going to serve, and if we serve God too, all of those things are going to contribute to growth, contribute to me walking in 
a healthier and less sinful manner, definitely, as we go forward. We're still in process, but we're making progress. The Lord is working, and we acknowledge that. But yes, we do have to keep repenting. It's a matter of constantly putting God back on the throne of our lives. Here are some practical points to think about and apply. We don't want to rationalize our behavior. We want to be honest with ourselves and the Lord and let the Lord judge us. Let him speak honestly to us and listen. And we don't want to let sin build up. It's just going to heap more and more condemnation on us. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So just a couple of verses there that are speaking to, hey, don't let the sin build up. Go to him. Release that stuff. Confess it. Get clean. Repent. Put that apple back on the tree. And what I do is I regularly confess when I'm praying, in worship, pretty much every week in worship, I'm confessing my sins. Everything that the Lord brings to mind in that moment, I'm confessing and bringing them and repenting, coming back. If the Holy Spirit convicts me of something, I'm going to own it. And I'm going to try as best I can to respond quickly to that. That way I'll keep my heart soft and keep close to God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that there's no limit to how many times I can repent. You don't tire of me coming back over and over, even if it's the same thing again and again. Until we get victory, Lord, over certain temptations, thank you for your grace and patience. And Lord, I extend that grace to myself. And as we pray that, we forgive ourselves and let you be the judge of our hearts. We give you that apple fresh. We thank you that you are our Lord and that what you want for us is the best, is the best. We can't get to the best apart from you, Lord Jesus. So we trust you again to help us repent, help us walk out the mature Christian walk. And we love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe and give a high rating to this podcast so that more people will listen. And if you have any questions I haven't answered yet from Genesis, remember you can always email me at lovegodfirstpodcast at gmail.com.